Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. And I'm Brett. If you're looking for a different horror podcast, one that stands out from the rest. Well, don't look here. (laughs) Absolutely not. Every week we talk about our favorite horror movies and some of our favorite aspects of those horror movies. So that's something that interests you. Check us out. The only thing that sets us apart is that it's us. So if you like the sound of our voices, check us out at the Evil Death Podcast, wherever it is that you find podcasts. One theme, 13 Screams. 13 Degrees of Screams podcast dissects your favorite horror movies. Each season, we will cover 13 movies around one theme. We will discuss the real-life myths and legends that inspire these movies and tell you just how scary they are. With your host, Alex and Stephanie, join us as we dive deeper into the Degrees of Screams. This is Hannah. And this is Matt Hannah. And this is Horror Hour with the Hannahs. Where we discuss all your favorite scary movies. This is a new podcast where we will talk about our experiences watching some of our favorite, least favorite, and some brand new horror movies. We'll cover crowd favorites like The Conjuring, polarizing films like The Witch, and even some movies that we love to hate on. We'll even bring on some of our friends to complete this journey with us, including our resident scaredy cat sidekick and our professional actor pal. Tune in on Wednesdays, where we will release episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube on a weekly basis. Happy hauntings! Sixth episode of the Horror Lab, where we dissect the best in horror movies each and every week. I'm your co-host Will, but alongside me, I don't have my normal co-host Chris. He's out for work reasons, scheduling conflict. But I do have a very special guest with me. Uh, I'll actually have him introduce himself in just a moment. Um, wanted to give you guys upfront because we're going to dive into uh, a bunch of things in this episode. So before we we jump into all that couple of quick housekeeping things. Uh, episode 35, where we, Chris and I, dissected uh, The Sixth Sense, is now available for streaming, or by the time you listen to this, it will be available for streaming. Uh, episode 34 is also available. We, uh, we dove into some alternative co-host conspiracy theories on what it would look like if A24 actually acquired the rights to the Halloween franchise. Um, we were really sad. And then we just figured, let's just come up with some wacky stuff, knowing how A24 produces movies. And so uh, it was a fun episode. I learned some things about Chris, um, and I think he probably learned some things about me (laughs) in that episode. So give it a listen, guys. Spotify, Apple Podcasts are the two main uh, platforms you can stream us. Uh, You can stream us elsewhere, but those are the two big ones. Uh, Be sure to follow, like, subscribe. Five-star review. You guys know the drill at this point. We're almost 40 episodes in. Uh, any any little bit of support you, you offer, we are deeply appreciative of and grateful for. So thank you guys. All right. Enough of that. Special guest. 
Jonathan, introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Wickermasinga Uh Don't worry. You can just call me Jonathan. Um, I'm a big horror movie fan. I uh, got into the podcast through a um, friend. Of, if you heard the Halloween episode, yeah. uh, my friend John Pyle. Um, he and I have done some okay. podcasts back in the day, actually. So uh, I saw him post about it and started listening. So, uh, yeah, it's been really cool to be listening for a while. And then I I reached out to Will um, as a fan of the show and also a screenwriter myself, uh, more recently focused on kind of horror thriller stuff um, to uh, see if he'd be interested to have me on. So I think we have a movie we're going to talk about, um, but we're also going to talk a little bit about horror screenwriting and uh, he might have some questions for me and I'm happy to. Yeah, I love it. So you you all might recognize John Pyle, that name from uh, both of our Halloween episodes. I think it was episode four or five and then somewhere in the teens. Um, John is the voice of God. He has got the ultimate podcasting voice. Um, and so I'm really glad it's, it's really interesting to make, you know, connections like this where, you know, you always hear like word of mouth, you know, is, is the best marketing, that kind of thing. And I always think to myself, yeah, maybe, but in this case, it really is. I mean, to, to hear John and then, you know, to have it sort of passed on that way is, is pretty great. So um, I definitely am curious and super intrigued and probably will have some questions, Jonathan, about uh, the screenwriting process that you go through, um, the work that you've done, that kind of thing. So um, let's start with this question. What got you into screenwriting and then even specifically horror thriller screenwriting? Sure. Great question. Uh, I've always kind of been a storyteller. I started writing in third grade uh, based on, a, I don't know if you're yeah, familiar with course. the poet Shill Silverstein, yeah. where the sidewalk ends, that kind of thing. So our, our teacher shared those. And so I, I love them. I sort of wrote, I wouldn't quite call it plagiarism, uh, sure. <laughs> but granted I was in third grade too, but like he has one called, um, Sylvia Stout will not take the garbage out. I wrote one about a girl who would not get her hair cut. So okay. more like similar themes, um, very similar. Uh, but, you know, got to play around with the style, progress to short stories. Um, somewhere around sixth grade, I tried writing a novel. Uh, that didn't quite work out. I didn't have the stamina for it. But somewhere around that age, I, I'd been a big movie fan. And I kind of it kind of clicked for me. I'm like, oh, someone must write these like they don't just <laughs> pop into existence. And so I, I wrote my first script, not having ever actually read a screenplay. So I made up my own format. It's kind of a mixture between, I think there's some screenwriting, accurate stuff in there, playwriting, and then kind of my own stuff that I inserted, uh, but then kind of learned like, Oh, this is actually a thing you can do. And, um, I ended up studying, I studied screenwriting okay. at university of Southern California. So I learned a lot uh, there through their undergrad program. Uh, and then as far as horror writing, um, I was really averse to horror for, for a while when I was a kid. Um, I distinctly remember, I don't remember how old I was, but seeing a little yeah. bit of the movie tremors when I was a kid and being like <laughs> terrified for a while of like making too much noise, uh, later watched it freshman year of college. I saw it like at a bargain bin and bought it. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I love this. It's so funny. So, um, so you know, got to yeah. revisit that, that trauma and, uh, you know, move through it. Um, but I think it was, uh, it was the summer after scream had come out. My mom randomly rented it for me and I knew that it had a lot of movie references. And so I'm a big movie guy and I was like, okay. So I watched it middle of the day, 
I'm like, okay, not too scary. And I loved yeah. it. Like just all the references and the, but you know, there were references I didn't get so much. So I'm like, Oh, let me dive into this. So that's what kind of got me into horror. And then in terms of writing it myself, I had done some over the years. I had a, a short story uh, that was made into a okay. audio uh, to a podcast short story. Um, um, about uh, a guy through the desert being attracted by like a single solitary zombie. Um, so I, I delved into it a little bit, but another script that uh, I used to write with a partner, um, we just, well, our lives are too busy now. We don't live in the same city, so we don't write together anymore. But we had a script that we, we had some success with in terms of getting okay. meetings and stuff here and there. Um, and usually as it often goes, meaning like, oh, we loved your script. We don't want to make it, but let's talk about what else you have. Uh, sometimes just because it's way out of their budget. That was sure. something we ran to a lot with the one we had. And this one producer was telling us, um, Actually, he's a producer of okay. what we're talking about today, it turns out. Um, but um, so or I think we met with his assistant, not him exactly, but his company. And that guy told us, oh, most writers these days are breaking in with horror or low budget sci-fi, mm. a horror thriller. And I was like, OK, I like that genre. And that seems like a way in. So I kind of challenged myself to come up with, I think it was a list of like 25 ideas and uh, I've gotten through a few of them uh, and a few new ones have popped in since then. So that's kind of mostly what I've been, that's been awesome. focusing on lately. Oh, I'm s- okay. So I, I've always wanted to write a book, a novel, something in the horror mystery crime thriller genre. Right. And, uh, for as long as I could remember from the time I was in elementary school, um, you know, I was reading R.L. Stein, Goosebumps, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, scary stories to tell in, you know, to tell in the dark, that kind of stuff. And so I, it was it's always been it's always been there for me. And I was lamenting recently that, you know, I've just never been able to find the time with work and life and family stuff to actually sit down and put together a 50,000 word you know, manuscript. <laughs> and then I, and then I thought to myself, but that's kind of true, sort of not true. Cause I have a, you know, I host another podcast that's a scripted podcast and, um, 15 episodes in, I'm at like 47,000 written words. And so I, <laughs> it's not that the time isn't there. Okay. It's more like, I feel like, and you can, you can maybe shed some light on this for someone who wants to, to write, a novel or even a screen, a screenplay. What's a good starting point for them? Obviously the time, the time management has to be there. You have to dedicate time to it. But as far as beyond that, what, what are the, what would you recommend as the first initial steps? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, before I answer that, I did neglect to say, yeah, I love Goosebumps. I love Fear Street. So I guess I, I had that horror stuff going before the movie stuff came in. Um, but yeah, I don't want to leave out R.L. Stein. Yeah. A big influence for sure. Uh, yeah, I think for a starting point, um, for me, I've written in a lot of different genres, uh, meaning uh, obviously uh, talking about sure. horror and thriller and sci-fi. But beyond that, I mean, in terms of uh, formats another way you could call it in sure. terms of stage plays short stories as i mentioned screenplays so part of it i think when you have an idea is determining what's going to be the best format for this and not to say an idea can't fit into multiple formats but probably for its first iteration there's something that's going to be best if it feels very um 
in your head and you really want to get into the characters, then probably something more prose is going to be uh, the best fit for it. Um, there isn't a lot of horror thriller stage plays, and I think that's actually an area where they, they could use more of, but it can be a little bit hard to create that atmosphere um, on, on a stage versus in a film. But, but I think that's the first thing is kind of identifying where, what, what might sure. be the best place for this. Um, and then I think it's, you know, inspiration can come from a lot of different places. I think more likely uh, there might be other writers that feel differently, but for horror, I think it probably does start more with the plot okay. than with the character in a lot of cases. Character is crucially important, but I feel that probably that inspiration is like, oh, what if this happened or what if that happened? Uh, in terms of if people are interested in doing it and just don't have that idea, because the idea usually generates momentum and you run with it. Mm-hmm. But if you're just like, how do I come up with an idea? I, I think a couple of things are just like thinking what I just mentioned, like what if a lot of times and you know, you're going about your normal day and, and things are fine. <laughs> Hopefully you don't have a, a day that looks like a horror movie, but maybe you think, Oh, well, what if this has happened instead? Like what if that guy who had dropped off my package had done this? Like what would I have done? You know, so that can generate stuff. And, and sometimes I find, and I won't name any names, but watching films where I'm like, ah, I would have done this I'm a lot there. differently. <laughs> and so then I think, <laughs> and I think, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to take this exact thing and just change that one thing, but what am I, what's the root of that? Mm. Like, why would I have done this differently? And then sometimes that can spark an idea. So those would be two places to start if you're looking to generate ideas. And then usually you can, uh, that momentum can carry into uh, actually sitting down and, and oh, starting to create something. It. And, I'm always conflicted because I always so true story. Anytime I read, anytime I read any really any fiction, I walk away thinking, "Man, I, w- I want to write something." And then I look at, at the calendar, and it's like, "Well, it's Thursday evening. I'll start Monday." Like Monday seems like a good place to start. Start of the week, fresh start, kind of thing. My brain works that way, and then Monday comes and goes, and I'm like, "Well, you know, next Monday, you know." <laughs> so, so I, I. I feel a certain motivation hearing you say this because in my own head, I've, I've thought, well, it seems like if we take just normal everyday circumstances and then put a question to it, what if, if, what if this went awry and what if it went awry in this way or that way, you might be able to generate something. So I've thought that, but then I'm, I'd be such a novice at this stuff that I would, I would start writing and then feel like, uh, eh, this, I don't know, this just isn't going to work out, you know? And so I, I appreciate you validating my head voice <laughs> for me. <laughs> of course, you've actually done this stuff. So there's a, a massive gap, you know, gap and chasm there. But, um, is there a particular subgenre within horror, either books or movies that you prefer? Or, or ones that you don't really enjoy? Um, I would say I, I can have fun with the slasher, okay. but it's not my go-to. Um, I do like something a little bit more. Uh, I, I don't like sure. the term elevated <laughs> horror, but I think we all know what it means. Um, I, I think it's something people use that sure. want, don't want to admit they like horror. Um, but I do like stuff where there is kind of that cerebral element to it where, uh, or where it has like a, a social message. In fact, that's the reason I've kind of gravitated towards it. Um, I, I can't remember if it was that producer who said it or if I read it somewhere else that horror and sci-fi are really the last two genres where people will 
take a message and not mm. feel like you're just like forcing something on them versus like if you write a drama about an issue you might get people who are sure. already interested in that issue to you know, to check it out but people might watch a horror film just to be scared or enjoyed and then secretly yeah. have some kind of message there um and, you know and they'll some might reject it some might it might sit with some people but at least you're conveying it um and so i do like films that have like a, a lot of messages a lot of a lot of horror these days is like i think i saw a joke on twitter like man i, I really want a horror movie where the <laughs> horror is trauma uh, cause th- that's, that's been coming up a lot lately um but you know i i think it can be interesting effective so okay. i do like stuff like that um okay. i do i'm a big zombie movie fan uh, a lot of them are not that great um but i yeah. when they are great i really love it um and um, so, so I guess those are some of the, Oh, that's great. I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's funny to hear you talk about elevated horror because I, I find that people use the term as this sort of like, I like elevated horror, you know, <laughs> almost like that vibe to it. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you, you like, so like, give me an example. Oh, well, hereditary elevated horror. And it's like, yeah, but there's uh you know, it's religious horror too. And you know, there's beheadings and stuff. So like you, you like horror <laughs> is what you're saying. <laughs> you like horror, you know, right. and you just maybe like a, a type of horror that makes you think a little bit more about certain things or, you know, forces you to watch things you would turn away from otherwise, that kind of thing. And so, you know, um, Chris and I have talked about in the past, you know, is there another way to describe elevated horror that doesn't use those terms? And I don't, I don't think we've quite settled on anything. Um, I feel super pretentious saying like smart horror <laughs> because it, it implies this binary of, you know, smart and dumb or, you know, tier, tier a tier Z kind of right. thing. And so <laughs> I love elevated horror though, <laughs> just <laughs> as a horror fan. <laughs> and I feel like, I don't know. I feel like horror – and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I feel like horror movies are trending in that direction a little bit more. I mean you still have your sort of tropish uh, you know, slashers that are just blood, guts, and gore. Not super super into those. But I feel like as a, as a whole, the genre is pulling in the direction of this sort of socially conscious, maybe a little bit more message-driven and not just – you know, thrills and, and cheap scares. Um, I could be wrong, <laughs> but I feel like as a whole, there's, there's some, some trend in that direction, which is why we, we wanted to do the A24 Halloween. Like where would A24 take Halloween? And it, it's super funny to hear you say, you know, people want to see trauma, horror as trauma. There was a part in that episode. I don't know if you've heard it or not, but I, where I said to Chris, I feel like a 24s take on Halloween is going to be getting Michael and Lori into a therapy session to process their relational <laughs> traumas. And we're going to find out that Loomis created Michael by mistake. And you know, <laughs> like it's going to be this whole big thing, but I, I, I definitely see that concept of people want something a little bit deeper with a little bit stronger messaging that maybe you can't get in another genre. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm interested. I'm definitely, definitely interested to see where the next two or three, three to five years takes, takes horror movies, you know? And, yeah. and I feel like maybe this is a good segue into, hold on. I have one more question. Backtrack, backpedal. 
screenwriting, just writing in general. A listener is interested in one piece of advice. What would you give them? Find people that you can bounce things off of, meaning ideas and the actual writing. You know, I've been in different writers groups over the years. Um, I, I'm lucky enough now, one location wise, I'm not really close enough to LA to do a regular writers group, although I'm kind of starting to look here. Uh, but I, I have enough people now that I can yeah. email out a bunch of people and I get four or five of them maybe that are like, oh yeah, I can take a look at it. So I don't necessarily need that um, <laughs> regular group now, but that can be a great thing because one, it puts some pressure on to generate material, but yeah, it's, it's really crucial to have someone that can be a sounding board. Um, and I always find because sure. feedback is crucial. Uh, you were talking about jumping in, being a novice, like it, it, as long as you go in knowing like, okay, there's going to be some stuff here that I feel really excited about sure. it, and there's going to be some really good stuff. I know there's going to be a lot of bad stuff. Um, and you know, and that's true whether it's your first one or whether it's your, you know, 31st one uh, because uh, you know when i write a, a first draft sometimes in the middle of writing it I'm like, <laughs> this is bad this is bad uh, but it's like but even then writing through it sometimes okay i know mm -hmm. how i'm going to rewrite this and change it but that, that's just my process as i go ahead and power through that and then i come back around to it but i think you need that feedback and um i guess this is maybe uh, oh, going over to a second let's hear it advice, for sure i'll throw it out there real quick <laughs> is to uh, is to really take that feedback in because I think our first reaction is just like, oh, well, they just don't get it. Um, and for me, especially that's why it's helpful to get have why I talked about a group of people, not just like one person is because I always find that feedback is uh, to really listen to feedback that falls into one of two categories. One is like it immediately resonates like you kind of knew the <laughs> subplot was weak, but you were hoping it wouldn't be. And someone points it out and you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess I need to fix that. And then the other one is if multiple people sure. are pointing out the same thing, because maybe one person maybe just didn't quite get it or, um, sure. you know, that, that can happen or just wasn't their taste. Um, but I had, so for instance, I had a, a thriller recently and there was kind of the subplot where a few people thought it was, way too predictable a few people thought it like didn't make any sense and they were like well wait i didn't see this coming at all and then some people were kind of in the middle and i was like <laughs> okay it's probably fine then like it's going to divide people but sure. I, I had it like a spectrum whereas if everybody had said it's too predictable or oh it doesn't feel set up at all then i gotcha. would have been like okay i need to tweak that a little bit that's so, super helpful that's what do i would you, do you find that i guess one last question after the last question <laughs> do you <laughs> that's it that's it the, the that's post credits exactly it do you feel like you have an idea in mind you start and then you get to that that feedback part of it are you finding that the edits that you make are generally within the realm of what you had in mind or have you gone back and just made wholesale changes to say i'm gonna maybe not scrap the original idea but i'm gonna rewrite this entire thing you know and and move forward from there does that does that happen often um i wouldn't say okay. it I, I wouldn't say often but it, it definitely has happened in fact uh, one of the recent horror scripts that i've written that has been uh, going around with to, to contests and stuff like that and getting some placement here and there uh as 
the original version of it was very, very different in terms of the character, completely different occupation. There was a relationship in there. That character yeah. doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I created, I think the new version now they have a daughter okay. and it's more of a mother daughter story that wasn't a part of it in the first uh, iteration. Um, and so that kind of goes back to character. I think a lot of it was that the plot more or less, uh, I'd say okay. a lot of the plot elements stayed the same, but the character changed tremendously. Um, for the better, That's I hope. I, I think okay. I'm going to have a thousand more questions. And it, it, and there's a <laughs> – I'm sort of sad that Chris isn't here because I know – I don't want to speak for him, but Chris does some some short story writing as well. And so when we were when we were planning, mm-hmm. we were both excited to, to, you know, to talk with you and to hear from you. And so um, I figure maybe we can get you back on. <laughs> we'll just, I was gonna we'll say, just have, to have, have, have to have you back where yeah. we could all, you know, powwow together. Cause I, I know I'm going to have more questions and I, I definitely know Chris will be super interested and, and, you know, ready to pick your brain as well and hear from you. So, um, thank you, Jonathan. I, I really appreciate it very much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Questions. So we're going to, we'll transition here a little bit to our movie of the episode. I was telling uh, Jonathan before we hit record that, I, I have a love-hate-love relationship with this movie and that I'm content to leave it in that love place. <laughs> We're going to review uh, 2022's Barbarian, which uh, is on Max, formerly known as HBO Max. Um, it was a really surprising, pleasant surprise when I first saw it. And I think the second time I watched it, I... I don't know. I, I think maybe I was expecting something different. I don't know. And then I, I so I, I watched it pretty quickly one after the other. And then I waited a few months and I just watched it here a few days ago and I loved it again. Like I had seen it for the first time. So um, I guess with, with Chris gone, you guys are relegated to hearing me give a quick summary synopsis. Word of caution. Chris does this way better than I can, than I will. So don't turn us off here. Um, actually, that's not true. I'll go through my spiel beforehand. If you've never seen Barbarian, absolutely worth a watch. Definitely pause this episode here. Go watch the movie again on Max, about an hour and 45 minutes. Then come back and give us a listen. We don't dig too deeply into, you know, scene by scene, but there are going to be spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, give it a watch. Our goal in the Horror Lab is to enhance your viewing experience, not replace it. So we want you to watch these movies and then come and give us a listen. All right, here we go. Barbarian. Super small cast. There's maybe three, four, five principal actors, actresses at most. There's a couple of others on screen, so just know that going in. Uh, a woman. play Her name's Tess. She ends up in the Brightmoor neighborhood outside of Detroit. Uh In the middle of the night, she goes to check into her Airbnb, and she finds that it's already occupied by a guy named Keith. Now, the movie sort of throws you for a loop because Keith starts acting funny. Like most of his scenes on on screen are him definitely being nervous. I think they both recognize the awkwardness of the situation. She's trying to check in. He's already there. After some back and forth about she's going to go find a place, he convinces her to go into the house and spend the night and then they can figure it out in the morning. She goes in through some awkward sort of tense moments. 
she he gives her the the bedroom. He decides to sleep out on the couch. She locks every door behind her. And the next morning she survives. She doesn't nothing happens to her. The next morning she gets up like normal as she planned to go to a job interview. But as she's driving to the job interview, she notices just how run down and dilapidated the neighborhood actually is uh, probably better described as a ghost town. Um, broken down buildings, graffiti everywhere, very clearly uh, a town or a community that's long forgotten. She goes to her interview, interview goes well. She tells her interviewee where she's or the interviewer where she's staying. She's given this look like, hey, you shouldn't be out there. That's a dangerous place. She says, no, I have a roommate. It's going to be fine. She goes back and as she's getting in the middle of the day, she's getting in, going into the house. She's chased by someone who's in the community, chases her to the front door. She is able to get in the door, slams the door shut, finds herself eventually in the basement of the house. Notices this basement door, goes down the stairs, and in what you expect to be this trope, you expect something to jump out at her. Nothing does, but she does find a cord in the wall, which when she pulls it, opens up a secret passage. And in the basement, there's in that secret passage, there's a bed with a camera. Obviously, some deviant things were going on. We don't know what just yet. At this point, she's locked out of the basement. She's banging on the door. Keith comes back to the house lets her out. She tells him, hey, there's this room. He goes down to check, and we don't hear from Keith for a little while. So then, she starts to hear Keith screaming for help. She goes down there. She finds that there's a whole tunnel system, steps, all sorts of crazy stuff down there. Keith comes walking out to meet her in the tunnel. He says, be quiet. There's someone else here. And in a very tense moment, she's obviously, who is it? What's going on? The mother, that's how she's described as her character name. The mother comes and kills Keith in a gruesome way. Now, at first, you think this is going to be like, the movie's going to be about a woman who's held hostage by a guy that she checks into an Airbnb with. It's not that. Then you think that the movie is a zombie movie because the mother is very clearly physically deformed. It's sort of that, but mostly not. Now, maybe not even at all. <laughs> sort of secondary to the whole movie. Cutscene. We find a new character is introduced, AJ, played by Justin Long, who I really struggled with in this movie, I think, all three times. And I don't know if it was him or his character, maybe a little bit of both. AJ's driving out on the road. He's a sitcom actor. He gets a phone call while he's driving. One of his co-stars has accused him of sexual assault. And so he goes, the story's going to run in the paper the next day, all over the news. It's going to be a big thing. He goes to meet with his financial advisor. Financial advisor tells him that he's got just a couple of months worth of finances available before he is essentially bankrupt. And so we find that despite all of the goings on with the sexual assault case, he now travels to Detroit because he's going to sell some investment properties. So it's two stories that merge together because we find out that AJ is actually the owner of the Airbnb. So he shows up at the Airbnb thinking that it's empty. Turns out all of Tessa's stuff is still there. He notices her belongings, suitcases. He finds her laptop. He finds her toothbrush and uh, he finds the, the door to the basement open. He slams it shut. Can't shake the fact that he's not alone. And so he, but he doesn't know where anybody is. And so he makes his way down into 
the tunnel system or into the basement where he discovers the room in the tunnel system. But at that point, he's only thinking, wow, this is square footage for me to sell my house. <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to take a tiny house and make it bigger by measuring all of the tunnels <laughs> underneath the house. And so he doesn't quite realize what's going on. He finds Tess, who then warns him of the mother. He f- then sees the mother who tries to feed him this in the probably the grossest th- the grossest scene tries to feed him this bottle <laughs> of milk <laughs> of breast milk and it's it's gross a lot of things happen from there they're trying to escape and then there are some flashback scenes where uh, we don't quite know who he is just yet but it turns out it's a guy named Frank at the time that Frank had his heyday the neighborhood in, of Brightmore was uh, wealthy it was a well-populated area, a suburb outside of Detroit. Um, over time, it was run down. It became run down. People moved out, right? And so, um, but what we find out about Frank is that he's a sexual deviant and he essentially kidnaps and holds hostage different women. And we find out that <clears throat> once uh, AJ and Tess escape, they meet with the guy who initially chased her into the house earlier on. He tells them the story of Frank who had these women and he he raped them and then he you know so it was basically a process of inbreeding and incest that kind of thing and so that's what created the mother then you obviously have the climax of the movie this sort of uh what's supposed to be a satisfying ending which is really sad in some ways the mother escapes she chases aj and tess long drawn out scene the mother kills aj after aj tries to kill both tess and the mother And then Tess shoots the mother, kills the mother. And the last scene before end credits, Tess is walking down the road. Okay. So there's a lot of other things going on in those scenes. Okay. This is why Chris, this is why Chris does this because he's good with this. (laughs) It's so good with it. But that's the general plot. There's a lot going on. At first glance, I think the movie is, uh, it just seems like, a monster movie. But then when you, you really, you really watch, it, you really pay attention. You notice some things that are really worth discussing and exploring. So Jonathan, I've talked a lot. I'm going to turn it over to you. What did you love about this movie? What, what stuck out? What were themes? What were major ideas that really like you zeroed in on? Yeah. Well, I love that it's one of those movies where, when you want to recommend it, you want to say, like, yeah, I'm going to tell sure. you as little as possible because the more you say, the less uh, enjoyable yeah. the viewing experience is going to be. Because uh, just like you said, you start it and you're like, oh, okay, this is creepy <laughs> guy, Airbnb, it's going to be about that. No, you're completely wrong. So that's something totally different. Uh, essentially, it's a creature feature, but the creature doesn't yeah. show up for like 40 minutes, uh, which is really unique, which I really... I mean, we can get into the writing a little bit, but I'm just like, it's, it's very brazen. I'm going to do this. Like I'm going to take some risk writing, which I really appreciate. Um, I think in terms of themes, one big thing I like is like initially with this movie, you think it's saying like, Oh, strange Mm. men are the danger. Then it seems that the reveal is like, Oh, just kidding. It's actually a monster. And then we learn more and we're like, <laughs> strange oh no, men. yeah, we were right. Strange <laughs> men are the danger. Yeah. 
And I like that there's a lot of like false uh, enemies. So like you said, initially, Keith seems a little creepy and weird. And we're like, is that going to happen? Uh, we see the, the the homeless man who's chasing her feels like a threat. As it turns yep. out, he was actually trying to help her. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things where we feel like, oh, this is mm. this is where the bad thing is going to happen. But, um, you know, we're I don't think anyone could yeah, predict agree. what was going to happen with this movie. Um, yeah, they did. I'm taking them to Vegas. Play the Powerball. So. The, uh, yeah, definitely play the Powerball. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I liked that it had, you know, I think maybe we can talk about the AJ character, like you said, that you had had trouble with maybe as the actor, maybe as the character. Yeah, I mean, the character is just like... Oh, it's the, the worst. He's the worst. Dick. I mean, he's terrible. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that he has, um, so you mentioned like they, they do escape for briefly and he has this like quote unquote redemptive moment where he's like, mm-hmm. he accidentally injured Tess. And so he's like, oh no, I hurt someone. Like I need to make it right. So he's basically like kind of, we kind of saw earlier, he more or less confessed that he did yep. do what he's accused of. I mean, we probably already assumed that based on seeing how he behaved. Uh, but so it actually seems like, oh, maybe he is remorseful and maybe he wants to he's like, I think he says something about like, oh, am I a bad person or am I did I just do a bad thing? Um, and so it's like you kind of, you know, in a real world sense, I think that's a deep question in terms of like, OK, how can people be redeemed from doing very, very bad things uh, in a movie sense? I think initially we're like. Oh, right. are they letting this guy off the hook like that? I think we we're disappointed. And then almost immediately he reverts uh, to being like, oh, well, uh, I'm going to sacrifice Within you. like five minutes. For me to survive. Oh, that happens. Um, <laughs> it's very quick. Yeah, it's very quick. And then right after that, he's like, yeah, I'm so sorry. Gaslighting her of like, oh, I didn't. <laughs> right. I, you slipped and like, right. I didn't even push. You know, it's like we clearly saw you like shove her. So. Uh, I, I like that they don't let this character off the hook, and so that when when he is killed by mm-hmm. mother, it's it's very very satisfying. Yeah. Uh, oh man! So I I'll confess I generally don't like Justin Long as an actor. I find his and and it could just be the the characters that he's uh, that he portrays. I generally find them obnoxious, annoying, and he's definitely that in this movie. It's a different kind of annoying though. His in this movie, his annoying is kind of infuriating. Like, you know, in other movies, he's, he's like in dodgeball, he's annoying. Cause he's like, Oh, just, he's annoying. You know, like go, go sit over there for a minute in this movie. It's like, don't come anywhere near me. You can see all of the little side conversations that he has and little, little things are just, he's, he's a schemer. He's, he's someone who's out for himself always only whether it's his reputation or his finances or his whatever it is. And so I, and I know that's intentional obviously. So he does a good job playing the role. I'm not saying that, but you hate him. (laughs) And I feel like you're intended to hate him a little bit. Um, I forgot to mention that Keith, the guy in the, that she meets up with at the Airbnb is actually played by Bill Skarsgård who was uh, Pennywise in it. And he's terrific as this Awkward. He's not even. He's creepy when you first see him, but he, it's just awkward. You realize he's just an awkward guy who's not sure what to do with the moment. And I think that's that's worth talking about too, because I feel like the movie seems to have these multiple instances of, or or with AJ and let's say Frank, where you have men who are abusive to women, 
and you have Keith, who's sort of in a way a little bit of a foil to those men because he's he's obviously not. But he recognizes the the tension of being a strange guy or a stranger, right, to to Tess and this this situation that is not really ideal for either one of them. But he sort of takes that tension on his own back to say, "Hey, I didn't open the wine. I, I thought maybe you want something to you would you would want some, but I didn't want to open it because, you know, I didn't think you would drink it if you didn't see me open." Like he, I think he recognizes the the fact that men can be really terrible to women, <laughs> especially, especially, especially strangers. And so I, I don't know. The, I took away some of that. Um, I had some thoughts on sort of the community itself, the sort of desolation of Brightmoor and just how, it seems like a metaphor. I could be, re- I, I tell Chris all the time, like, dude, I'm about to reach for the star. So, you know, wherever, <laughs> but it feels like maybe there's some commentary on, um, you know, community flight and what that does to, to, to neighborhoods where, you know, maybe I, and obviously in, in Detroit, we know that, that there was, you know, issues of race and, uh, you know, racial tensions, especially, you know, by the time you hit the the mid nineties, that kind of thing. And so I, there were some of that stuck out to me is I, it feels like there's some, so, some sort of commentary, like hey, you're not supposed to be over here. You're not supposed to go there. This is a place where, you know, nothing good happens, that kind of thing. But at one time it was. And so you, you're left with this, this question of, well, what, what brought it from affluency, right. And, and the sense of wealth and life to now this desolation where you, people don't go, you know? So I, I thought maybe there was a commentary there. Um, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I definitely think that there's, there want to draw attention to housing issues in Detroit. This one guy has the only nice right. house is this Airbnb. Um, obviously Airbnb is, created issues of, about more of a housing shortage, which is not so much the issue here. There's plenty of houses that right. she sees are just all dilapidated. Um, so, but certainly talking about that, I, I think it's funny The later the, the homeless man is talking about, oh, she's been in there for 40 years. And I'm like, wait, no, the flashback is 1980. Yeah. Oh my God, that was 40 years. <laughs> yeah, that's just me realizing I'm old. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, there is a, towards the end of that, uh, it, it, this flashback set in the eighties, a neighbor is saying, Oh, we're selling, right. uh, you know, we're getting out of, out of here while we still can. So they're kind of talking about like, right. Oh, the, the neighborhood is changing. Um, and you know, Frank very, uh, ironically says like, Oh, I'm not going anywhere. That's just, That's, as it turns out, yes, yeah. he becomes kind of a prisoner in his, in his own house. Um, so yeah, I think that, there's a lot of things that it's trying to say. Some are, are more, it, it, go, it yeah. goes a little bit deeper on some of those subjects and some it lightly touches on, like I said, like I mentioned the gaslighting, there's really only a little bit of that. Um, but you know, they're talking about that, the, the housing stuff. I think the idea of like the worst, most evil threat could be your mm. next door neighbor who seems, I guess he doesn't actually seem cheery. He, he kind of seems kind of like a morose guy, but he, from the outside looking in, right. he seems just like a normal guy. Um, and, and, and again, that kind of, I speaks to the deeper thing I think about strange men being a danger. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about yeah. Keith a little bit. I do think that he, 
is portrayed as like, oh, the really good guy and that they do a good job, in my opinion, of it feeling like maybe he's a little creepy. But as we later mm-hmm. learn, oh, he is just a little bit awkward. And then they they break through that awkwardness. So, so Tess is there to interview for assisting on a documentary. And she mentions right. the previous film that the documentary uh, director made. And he's like, oh, yeah, I saw that. And she's like in disbelief because it's some small film. But it's about jazz and he does music. And so they like bond over that. And it's almost like a, a little bit of a romantic connection is starting to form. I really like the scene where, because uh, they've stayed up late because he's giving her the bed, but she wants the yep. sheets to be clean. Reasonable request. Um, they can't find any clean ones anywhere. Um, apparently they didn't look in the basement oh. or they didn't look too hard then. Um, but um, so, so they stay up late, they're having the wine and finally like it's time to go to sleep. And they're kind of this awkward moment of them standing there like, Oh, are they going to hook up? Is, are they going to kiss? Is something going to happen? And finally he's like, oh, okay, well, you know, good night. I, you know, I'll let you get your sleep. And I, yeah. I, I kind of like that it doesn't go further so that it stays like, oh, they've, they've made this connection, but it's more a, a platonic, yeah. you know, relationship. And I found myself, I remember the first time thinking this. And so this time I was thinking more quickly, like, well, Keith is a good guy. I'm like, is he a dumb guy? And I realized we don't actually know if he wandered down the steps by himself or if he got dragged down there, um, he doesn't strike me as a guy who would have found that stairs and been like, okay, right. I'm just going to go down here by myself. Um, but so it, that played into a little bit more. Uh, there are moral quandaries in here. Like, Oh, are you, yeah. what would you do in this situation? And so she, she already knows this basement is creepy. And then there's this stairs down to like, a pit of hell essentially and completely dark. She has her flashlight on her phone, but that's it. It's like, would you go help this guy? And I was like, I don't know if I would, (laughs) I, he was a nice guy, but I'm like, no, maybe I'll go get some help somewhere else. And, uh, and then later when she escapes and she's like, Oh, I got to go help this other guy. And it's, and I think the audience like, Oh, Tess, if you only knew how, (laughs) yeah. Well, also if you only knew how terrible this man was, you would be like, Nope, I'm going to leave him there. Um, so, so we, we're frustrated that she's risking her uh, life to go save this guy. But at the same time, I think we admire her as a character a little bit for that. Um, so it brings up those questions as well, like the morality, like what would you do in yeah. this situation? I, you know, it was back to the what if, like what if someone was down in the basement yelling for help? Would you go try to help them? Or would you be like, see you later, yeah. Keith, I'll, I'll go call the police. It, it's interesting because of all the characters uh, that meet the mother, she's the only one that really comes away unscathed. I mean, she's, she's shot by AJ by mistake, but as far as you know, being hurt by the mother directly, she's the only one that isn't. Um, in fact, it seems like right. right before the close of the movie, after AJ throws her off that little uh, that I, I, if I remember, was it a water like a water tower? Yeah, that's what I thought. It was. Water tower, I um, think it is. She sort of it yeah. almost seems like the mother jumps down almost because she ends up underneath Tess as a way to like soften her blow, you know, her landing, mm-hmm. and so yeah. Uh, it's interesting. It, it's really interesting. Her character development from, you know, this sort of scared, uncertain, you know, character to now I'm going to go back in and I know what's going. It, it's it seems like she has an upward arc, whereas all the other characters sort of devolve into their worst selves almost. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, she kills the mother, which to me, that was sad because I feel like 
it would be easy to walk away watching this movie thinking the mother is the villain when she's the victim and she's, you know, mm-hmm. and so right. that, that was, that was sad to me. Um, I did find Keith to be a little bit gaslighty in the initial, um, when she comes up the stairs and she's, she's obviously frantic. I feel like they, they sort of played on that trope of, you know, the hysterical woman who now needs to be, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of put in her place by the logical male who's saying, you know, calm down. Like you're not making any sense. Like there's nothing down. You know what I mean? And so I feel like for as, as thoughtful a character as he was at the front end, there was still this thread of his sort of overwhelming masculinity that came into the picture that threatened that you didn't know if he was a threat yet. Like, but it felt like that was the beginning stages of a potential threat. Like he was going to go down there. He was going to say, Oh look, there's no, no, no big deal. And then she was going to follow him. And then he was going to, so it, it, the movie set you up almost like on these false trails to say, Hey, I'm going to put you here and you think you're going to walk to the left, but you're not. <laughs> We're going to take in a whole different. So I, right. I, I liked, yeah. I really like that. Um, I wish, I wish Bill Skarsgård was on screen more than he was. I feel like his character mm-hmm. was super compelling or his portrayal of the character was super compelling, but I don't know that he could do the work that Justin Long did with being this sort of, kind of kind of likable mostly hateable guy <laughs> which i felt like a you know aj mm-hmm. was um <laughs> right oh it's interesting so so would you say then if we had to summarize the evil in this movie or pin it on a character again i, I feel like the low-hanging fruit would be well the mother she's murderous and you know she's evil that kind of thing but she's not i don't think she is to me i i interpreted it as Abusive men are the evil. That's that's sort of what I came right. away with. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely the message. I mean, I think ostensibly Frank is like the the main evil because we see all the videotapes of all the women he's abused, and even uh, AJ yeah. is like, "Oh, what's wrong with you?" Um, and then so even AJ, who we hate and rightfully you know, are, are happy when he's, mm. uh, when his demise comes, he's calling out this person. And yeah, I think that's kind of interesting because it's uh, mm. the idea of like, it's easy to dismiss sometimes our, our own actions. If we can mm. pin someone else as the monster, um, you know, so like, why do we have monsters? And this goes back just to kind of literature in general, like, Oh, cause we can say that's the evil right. thing. I'm not that, therefore I am good. So AJ is saying, oh, I don't right. kidnap women and hold them in the basement and record uh, my abuse to them. So I must not be a, a bad guy. So he's trying to justify it a little bit. So, yeah. And I, you know, as it, I think that is kind of the message is like that just because you don't do X doesn't mean you're not a bad person right. and that you haven't done bad things. There's yeah, that, kind of that's levels good. of it. That's good. It, it's almost like uh, – I don't know that this is the right way to frame it, but it almost seems like there's a generational divide between Frank and AJ. Frank is – you know, he, he sort of mm-hmm. kidnaps women and he holds them hostage and that's where his abuses, you know, are, are then played out. Whereas AJ seems like a, a, a modern day abuser where it's sort of out in the open and it's almost like I'm going to – 
present myself as person A to the rest of the world, but to the person that I'm going to, I'm going to victimize, I'm a whole different person, but I'm going to use, you know, this persona as the means by which I get what I want. Cause it, cause he, that scene in the bar with his friend at first I thought, well, that's, that's sort of a throwaway scene. It just feels like it's his, conf- you know, sort of confession, but really it's a, it's a pretty interesting approach to like character analysis. I thought where you really get all you need to know about AJ in those two minutes where he says, yeah, I mean, she said, no, we, we did this. Mm-hmm. She said, no, but then like, I'm a persuasive guy. And I just, you know, she said, no, but then she said, yes. And she was all, and so it's like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> like, not only are you guilty of, of what you're being accused of, but you're also guilty of using your own supposed personality and goodness and appearance to the world as the means by which you abuse. Like there, there's a, I know we call it narcissism, obviously, but there's there's right. something mm-hmm. to me in a way that's significantly scarier in that type of person than there would be a guy like Frank who's just hates the world, doesn't want anybody around him. Like I would stay away from a guy like Frank if I if I saw him on the street. Right. But I might actually welcome a guy like AJ into my home for dinner. You see what I'm saying? And so it, it feels like there's uh there's an interesting sort of play on, on those two, those two guys, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a good point in that. Like, I think Frank recognizes the evil he's doing. Like, I I think, you know, every villain is a hero of their story. So I, you know, for whatever reason he feels like, Oh, I have the right to do this, but there's, he's not going to like, talk to a buddy about like, right. Oh, this is what I, you know, what I did yesterday. Like he's very aware of like the, what he's doing is bad. Whereas AJ feels like, right. Oh, it was just a misunderstanding or like, Oh, if I explain it, I'm not a bad guy. He doesn't realize how right. awful he sounds even in his explanation of it. Um, and yeah, it does. You know, Frank is the kind of thing like, yeah, if, if someone found out immediately, like he would be arrested, like, which is why he does what he does right. when he hears that the police are coming. Uh, but AJ is that, that type of abuse that even 10 years ago, like the story might come out and you know, be like, well, you know, it, people would dismiss it. It's like, right. well, he said this. Or they might even go to bat for him to say, oh, well, like um, he's, so, a, he's a great guy. Like I've known him right. my whole life. Um, he would never do this. Right. right. That's I've a, never seen him do to anything me, that's, like that. Exactly. <laughs> that, that brings that maybe, yeah. maybe that's, that's definitely why I struggled with, AJ Justin Long, you know, as as a character in the movie, mm-hmm. um, because of that, I feel like there's just a sliminess to that kind of that kind mm-hmm. of personality, that kind of person. Um, I really, I really did struggle with it. Um, what else? What else? What else did we? Did you think? Was there anything else that stuck out? Yeah, I, I kind of going back to. You said when she comes up from when she finally gets out of the basement and she's uh, and Tessa's trying to convince yeah. Keith of like, oh, it's something that you she's obviously frantic, understandably. And I this time I did try to think about it from his point of view, what he's hearing. And you're right. They are playing off that idea of it, it's not quite the guy in the couple in like a haunted house movie who's like, oh, right. no, it's probably just a breeze. And it's like, dude, you clearly saw like, you know, sometimes that's not even believable because it's like, OK. Even the most dismissive man would yeah. be like, something weird is going on. Uh, so he wasn't there to win. And he does say that. He's like, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't see what you saw. I think 
in terms of what she literally describes, yeah, I think it'd be like, oh, there's a mattress <laughs> and a can't like, you know, she doesn't describe it as, as right. creep. When we see it, we're immediately like, oh, my God, something bad happened here. When you hear it described a bed in a basement, it could be like with a okay, camera. There's some oh. junk in a room. Right. Yeah. Right. It doesn't sound that bad. But I do think that since he had that moment with her the night before and he sees that she's all frantic, like you do feel like okay, maybe you should take her a little bit more seriously. Um, and I think that is something that, that comes up too about uh, you know, believing women. Yeah. So she escapes. She wants to help J- uh, AJ's character. So she calls the police. You know, That's the thing in horror movies. We're always like, well, why don't they just call the police? That's from a writing standpoint, things you always have to deal with. Like, right. how do you get rid of the character's phone? You know, that's always a common thing. And they're like, why don't you just call the cops? Well, she does. And they show up right. and just don't believe her at all because she's completely disheveled. Yep. They think she's uh, a meth addict uh, or a crack addict, I think they say. And, you know, it's very reminiscent of real life stories. I was trying to find one in particular, I remember, of someone who was being held by somebody who escaped and went to the police mm-hmm. and they just didn't believe her. And I forget the logistics if she ended up back with that person or not. And then while I was just trying to look it up, all these other articles are coming up about people not being believed by the, by the police. So mm. there's definitely a commentary about that um, in terms of, you know, and it's, I think it's played well because I, obviously we side with the the protagonist and we've seen what they've seen. So we're, we're, we're thinking that, but I think, yeah, while the, the cops are rude and dismissive and we wouldn't want them you know, I think most people wouldn't want them treating someone like this, regardless of whether they believe her or not. Um, I do think we can understand why they're right. like, what are you talking about? Um, so it's not as if they're just, it, it doesn't come across as cartoonish yeah. that they dismiss her. It feels believable, yeah. uh, sadly believable, I think, is you know, what was there's an interesting commentary on that. So she's like, okay, I got to do this myself. Is, yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, that was the second time she had tried to contact police, right? She called the first time. And they said, we don't have any units available. And uh, she's describing what's going on. And, right. and you could almost hear in the, in the, uh, you know, the operator's voice, the dispatch voice, like, yeah, this is not, this, we're not going to send anybody out there, <laughs> you know? And so it, it feels like the first right. time yeah. she was not believed there. And then obviously with Keith in the hallway, he struggles to believe her a second time. And then when she actually does make contact with the police, She's actually, and I thought this was really, really well done. She's incredibly composed. She's not hysterical. She's not, mm-hmm. she's not out of breath. She's not coming from like a sprint to the, like she, she's talking very normally in a, you know, even tone of voice. And it's almost as if as you're watching it, you're thinking she's purposely forcing herself to stay composed so that they hear what she's saying and they still no matter what she does, no matter how she presents, whether it's hysterical or confused or composed, she's just, no one's taking her word for it. No one's believing, you know, and it's okay. ironic that the only one that does is the homeless guy who was presented as a threat <laughs> the, the first time she sees him, you right. know, but he knew all yeah. along, Hey, you know, you can't, you can't be in there. And so I don't know. I thought, I right. thought the movie really did a good job of, sort of using using tropes ag- against themselves a little bit. Um, I know, you know, I know there's a lot of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, Cabin in the Woods is built on, you know, looking at tropes in a comedic sort of way. And I know Scream, you know, uses tropes in a ha-ha, ironic sort of way. 
but I feel like this movie did a good job of of using the tropes and then sort of turning them just enough to where oh I did I really didn't see that coming, you know. And so I I, I thought it was right. a unique yeah. sort of spin on on a horror movie. Yeah, I think a, another thing I like about it is. Oh, yeah. darkly comic uh, a, a few times there's some really good jokes and they're like uh, we you mentioned like this creature finally shows up terror you know in a super brutal way murders keith tess is right it screams in tess's face and then cut to right guy driving down <laughs> pacific coast highway and we're like right. what is justin long doing here you know we're completely thrown and it's like you know that that's kind yeah. of funny just by how jarring it is um but, but, you know, there are other moments, too, where when Tess first opens the room and we're like, I think she says what she we're says, all thinking, nope. where it's like creepy, nope. she's by herself. Like, nope, <laughs> not either. going in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's that. There's the, uh, when Justin, when the mother takes Justin Long and it like is all creepy and then she like boops him on the nose yep. like a like you would with the baby. Uh, and then, of course, the, the classic with the homeless man like, right. oh, I've been here 15 years and she's never tried to come in. And then right to the wall and immediately kills him. Uh, um, so, you know, it, it has some laughs uh, as well, which a lot of horror does. But I think it it plays it, some of it intentionally played for laughs some of it is just the storytelling methods they use kind of we kind of laugh in disbelief because we're like wait what what happened to Tess? what's going on like you know that's a very bold choice to to cut the way it does and it take a while to kind of come back to her um so oh the other comic thing which you mentioned is when he finds this creepy room and my wife called this. She's like, more, oh, he's be like more, more square footage. And, he, and then he goes and gets the tape measure. I was like, oh I my mean, God, he, you called he's it. He's measuring everything. The stairs, um, the, he, the side hallways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, what are these? Where it's like these cages that people were probably kept in. He's just like, oh, let me just measure past these. He's so just like aloof. And you know, he's very much the uh, test kind of mentions it with Keith about, oh, I'm I'm not in any danger. Like I'm perfectly fine. Um, you know, cause she's talking about if the situation had been reversed and she had been in the Airbnb first, yeah. she never would have let Keith in. Um, but he has that advantage of being like, Oh, what's this? <clears throat> what a strange woman is typically not thought of as a threat, uh, to, to a yeah. man versus the other way around. Um, so yeah, I, I did like the humor in it and I appreciated it more this time too, knowing what was knowing the plot that was happening. Um, I was able to yeah. kind of, I enjoy those. Yeah, I'm I'm with you for sure. Um, it you know I I found the the tape measure scenes to be sort of levity a little bit because he's obviously in the tunnel where bad things have already mm-hmm. happened. But I also took it as right. as a little bit of a a little more insight into AJ's thoughts because he's so self unaware, like he has no concept of like or si- he has no situational awareness. Like, dude, you just found a catacombs mm-hmm. under your house and you're so self-absorbed that the only thing you can think of is a bottom line, you know? And I, and I realize, you know, there, there's, there's some, some dark humor in that for sure. I mean, Justin Long is a, he's a, a comic in most of his movies. He plays that sort of, you know, funny guy role, but for the portrayal of the character, I thought it was just a really sort of, comedic approach to giving us some some deep psychology to who he is as a person and how he functions um it's also really interesting that the first interaction with the mother 
is when she reaches down to give him that bottle. And uh, she says, you, you need to take it. You need to take it. And he says, no, I'm not like, no, I'm not doing that. And she takes the bottle and she's safe. He refuses to take the bottle and initially he's safe. And you could almost like nonverbals being what they are. You could almost see it in his face. Like, see, I didn't I need to do this to like I keep myself safe. You know what I mean? Almost like <laughs> he's playing that role. And so I don't know. I thought I thought it was pretty. Br- Chris. <laughs> Hello. Hi there. Hi, my name is Chris. Nice to meet you, Jonathan. Guys, yeah, Chris nice just made an appearance. I take it back. I know, I know like the mother. Just he just came out, out of nowhere. nowhere. Oh, Lord. Well, we we uh, Chris, we're glad to have you. I, I botched the uh, the summary of this whole movie and like. It's bad. It was bad. It was really bad. So, guys, Chris is here. I'm glad he's here. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. Uh, so, Chris, we're talking about Barbarian. Um, and we don't have a whole lot of time, but ha- did you have you seen it yet, Chris? On Max? I feel okay. like I've just seen YouTube clips of it because I heard yeah, how yeah, yeah. terrifying the mother is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was super shocked when I found out it was just a man. So I wanted to mention that too, that I didn't realize that it was the mother wasn't even a female actor or actress. It was, it was a male with good makeup and costume design, but yeah, I mean, the mother is pretty terrifying. Uh, I'm pretty sure I would, I would shit my pants if I saw her in anywhere in a tunnel system or out on the street. But Mm-hmm. Chris, you, you'll you'll appreciate this. We won't give too much away because you I mean, you'll pick up on it anyway. But the human monsters in this movie are significantly scarier than the supposed monster. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Why right. am I not surprised? We talk about it every, yeah. almost every movie because these human monsters are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was going to say, I like that they, they do eventually, I like the way they deliver the information. So like, it's not a thing mm. that spoon feeds it to you where you do have this cut and you're like, what is going on? And then later with that flashback, the second flash, oh, was the first flashback, the second big cut, it, we sort of see like, okay, we have some sense of what's going on. And then it's not until the homeless man really explains it with his description of like yeah. copy of a copy kind of thing that we kind of get a sense. Oh, okay. That's this particular, you know, woman, mother, this is like how she came about. It sort of like divvies out the information, but a lot of times we're like left wondering what's going on. But, you know, and I think some people could get turned off by that. But for me, I liked that there was just enough to keep me, things were going on to keep me intrigued. And then the reveals happened and there was enough of an explanation where it wasn't one of these where it's like, wait, where did this come from? Or why was this person doing that? Because that always leaves me disappointed if there doesn't feel like there's, motivation or an explanation for an origin of something. So yeah, uh, I thought this I, was a good I agree. balance. I didn't that. feel like there was uh, I didn't feel like there were any loose ends in the movie. I, I feel like all of the loose ends were tied up really, really simply. And in fact, it didn't feel like they were pulling those loose ends together from left field. It feel, it felt like the movie was sort of right. an, a natural, just the way the movie was going to naturally move. Um, at first I was, I was a little confused mm-hmm. with Frank, the flashbacks of Frank. I thought, I know he's obviously got something to do here. I don't, I don't know what though. And so there was a part of me that felt like, Oh, well we've got multiple, like 
multiple storylines that are going to converge. Right. I've seen a lot of movies where that convergence is just not great or it's done in a clunky way. I felt like this one was a really smooth, smooth transition from storyline into storyline. Um, right. And I, and I think in terms of unanswered stuff, I feel like it's, it's not quite clear the relationship that Frank oh, has yeah. with mother now, like, is he exactly a prisoner or is he just like too invalid and he knows like he can't, there's no one else to take care of him. Um, but, but I, I didn't mind that, you know, I, I didn't feel like I needed that's that a good point. fully explained. Um, so, but, but, so that's the only thing like that we was kind of up for interpretation. That's a really, think, that's a really good point because I don't, I don't think we ever see them on screen together. Um, right. Yeah, but yeah, that, that's a good point. And you, so you you don't really actually know if mother likes him or not. We don't we don't ever see that that interaction. Right. Um, I thought I appreciated the fact that mother was portrayed as a a victim in all of this. Like once we understood the backstory mm-hmm. to how she came to exist. I appreciated that. I appreciate that they didn't continue with this villainous sort of storyline. Once you're informed of what, what she endured, she becomes this, Oh, okay. Well you do what you need to do. <laughs> you do what you need to do to the bad men, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and so I, I thought that was a, a really good, a good, good take on, on the character to the point where again, I like when at the, at the very, very end, I felt sad for her that she's a victim in all of this. And mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the movie doesn't victim blame here, which is, could be super easy to do. And you know, I think it would have been a missed opportunity if they, if they had gone that route um, just for the sake of, you know, a horror movie. But um, so Chris, we, I know you'll watch it and I, I know you'll agree with us because we agree 96% of the time, the 4% of the time is me floating in space. We know that, but um so we're we're essentially saying that the the evil in this movie, the monster in this movie, are abusive men who take advantage of whoever they can take advantage of. In this case, women, but you know, predatory men who prey on others for their own benefit, their own gain, their own uh, whatever profit. Yeah. And I'm uh, looking at the cast right now. Frank um, is portrayed by Richard Brake, and I'm assuming Frank is the villain because so Richard yes, Brake is always the yes, villain. but y- but yes, yes yeah. with, a, with a plus sign. So there's there's oh, there's multiple bad guys in this movie, and um, okay, Frank is definitely the OG bad guy. But AJ is oh. definitely the the next evolution or the next iteration of that bad guy, and that's a really interesting sort of split in the way that they present two guys who are clearly abusive, and how those the, maybe even the generational differences are evident in each one of them. Um, you know, right? Yeah, I like that it leaves us to wonder, like, yeah. who is the barbarian of the title, you know, it could be multiple people. And if I like the uh, little tie in that it's on Barbary I, I, street. So I did notice that too. I did notice that there. too. Uh, when I watched it this third time, the first time I didn't even register the second time. I think I hated the movie so bad. The second time I did. 
And then the third time I watched it on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, and I was like, damn, this was really good. Like I'm picking, I'm picking up, I'm picking up what they were laying down here. Like it's making sense. (laughs) So I tell, I tell Chris in most of our episodes, dude, it took me like five watches to really understand what I was watching, you know? And so, so this was definitely one of them. Um, I would recommend it to anybody that wants a, a smart, smart, hard sort of black comedy, dark comedy kind of, kind of movie. Um, Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. I really did. It's a that's a dark yeah, comedy. Same. I heard this movie was really it, terrifying. It is. It is, but it's not so much. I don't think it's so much what the monster, how they portray the monster on screen, as much as it's the human monster elements that are really the scary side of it. Like, yeah. I don't want to give too much away, Chris, because I feel like you you want to watch it. You need to watch it without interference. You know. <laughs> yeah, I was logging on and I was like, "Did I watch this movie?" That's fair. <laughs> it's like, why That's am fair. I logging there's, on? <laughs> there's been a couple of episodes I, I've we've done where I'm like, "Oh, we're recording at twelve. I'm gonna. I need to watch this at eight, like that morning." And I'll watch it and I'll like – and you could probably – if you listen, you could probably tell which ones I was like – I've seen this before, but I like really just now watched this recently. So yeah. Chris, my apologies yeah, yeah, yeah. in my confession. <laughs> confession time right now. <laughs> so Chris, I definitely want to have Jonathan back on. If Jonathan, if you're, if you're open to it, um, we can definitely do another yeah, movie absolutely. for sure. Um, but – Chris, at the beginning portion of uh, of the episode, we um, Jonathan does screenwriting, and so he uh, he talked about that for probably the first 20, 25 minutes, and it was it was pretty great. And I know that you also write short stories and that kind of thing, so I'm super intrigued. I'm gonna today's Friday, so I need to start on Monday, but <laughs> I need to <laughs> I need to start writing. Chris, Chris, and I have been talking about this for a long, long time too. <laughs> But so, um, Jonathan, what when we first emailed way back, maybe in August or September, you had you had given a list of movies that you were interested in doing. I know we settled on Barbarian. Did was the thing one of those in the list? Yes. Yeah. Would you be open to doing that one next? It is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's my all time favorite rewatchable movie. Like if I just don't know what to watch and I just want to have something on, I will almost mm-hmm. always put on the thing. I don't know why I, I, <laughs> so no, Most not me. Like a comedy. There, there's a scene, light. there's a Lots scene in the dying. very beginning <laughs> of the movie, maybe 10 minutes in where he's playing chess on like this old, like this old computer, this desktop. And he gets so annoyed that he opens up the the little panel and he dumps his whiskey with the ice into the into the computer, and like, I resonate with that scene so deeply, where I'm just like, if I had a glass of whiskey and you, this situation was a chess game that I'm losing, I'm just gonna open the panel and dump my whiskey in there. So anyway, <laughs> I I love it. Um, I think it'd be, I think it'd be a great episode. So. Chris, does that yeah, sound okay? I'm excited to do it. Cool. 
Okay. So Jonathan, I'll um I'll shoot you an email and we can uh the next couple months really through the end of the year are pretty light for me. So the chaos of September and October have come and gone, thankfully. Good God. I was telling Chris I had I need to just retire at thirty nine. <laughs> and go, go, go live in the woods somewhere. It's a dream. <laughs> That's it. Watch That's it. Yeah, I need electricity movies. so I can watch horror movies. Um, but <laughs> um, but let's let's see if we can connect. Maybe sometime right after Thanksgiving, um, if you guys are guys are open to it, and uh, we can we can plan from there. Cool, Jonathan. Any that any last great. thoughts you have that you want to toss out there? Oh, well, just, you know, thanks for having me on here. I think it's, but that, that's what I really love about movies in general, but particularly horror is that there is a lot yeah. of stuff that you can discuss. So it's great to have a, a, a this podcast where the two of you dive into stuff and really start analyzing it. And, um, you know, I, there's been things where movies I've seen a lot and you brought up stuff. I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought about that before. So I appreciate what the Jonathan, two of you we do. We appreciate it very much. It is. Nice and I, I don't feel so... <laughs> <laughs> Dude, my wife has listened to exactly zero episodes of the Horror Lab. I don't know. What's my going mom on? loves it. So, mom, hi. And then for the, I'm, that's it. Mama Christmas oh. gift. And then for, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're good. You're good. Oh no, my wife just watched the first episode yeah, yeah. of our episode on the witch, and you know the witch, you know they killed the baby. No, nope, we're turning that off. Oh, I'm telling you. So the only time my wife will listen to the other podcast that I host, the Red Tree House, the only time she'll listen to that is when yeah. I put it on in the car and we're driving. And she's like, hey, she's like, hey, yeah, can you I put something on? I'm like, yeah, I got exactly what we're going to listen to. <laughs> so she's listened to that one at least once. But, you know, the first time she listens, Amazing. you know, I, cool. I tell her, I say, you know. I appreciate your support even from a distance. And the first time she listens to the horror lab will be the episode that she guest stars on when we do the descent. Cause it's her favorite oh, horror amazing. movie. So, yeah. you know, Ooh, nice. Ugh. it's a good one. Well, it'll be good. Excited for that one. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate it very much. And, uh, Jonathan, I'll, I'll shoot you an email. Um, here in the next little bit. And we'll, we'll definitely connect. All right. Okay. Sounds Thanks, great. guys. Thanks so much for having me.